Looking forward to taking some time in God's Word together with you and to all the young people who are here with us because it's the fifth Sunday. Welcome. We're so glad that you are joining us today and now you will be excited to figure out what we actually do and why, how we have so much fun while we usually get rid of you out of the room so we can have fun. When we were raising our kids, one of the reasons, and there were many reasons they did not want to go to bed, was that they were convinced as soon as we sent them to bed, the party would begin. And, uh, of course, they heard the popcorn popping and all the excitement going on. And so they knew they were missing out. Well, you're not missing out, children. So you're here with us. You can see how much fun we have. The sermon today uh, is going to be simply kind of like this. It's always best to tell the truth about who Jesus is. And if you're willing to do that, the Spirit of God will give you all the boldness and the courage that you need. It's always best to tell the truth about who Jesus is. And if you will do that, God will help you and make you bold, make you strong, and make you courageous. I'm going to read a passage of Scripture. It's kind of a long passage, most of chapter 4 in the book of Acts as we're studying through this. So uh, let me read it. Follow along. It's up on the screen. Uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, uh, if you do, there it is in the English Standard Version, Acts chapter 4, verse 1 through 31. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, well, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. 
So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people, for all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priest and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, and by, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. I'll pray. Maybe could, somebody could shut the back door for me. That would be appreciated. And let's ask the Lord's blessing on his word. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this chapter. Thank you for your help. Thank you for preaching. Thank you for listeners. Thank you for the work of your spirit that makes it all profitable into our hearts and lives. Speak to us today. Fill us afresh with your spirit. Encourage us in our faith. Strengthen us in our mission for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Back in May, the pastors had our annual evaluation and planning retreat. Each year we take a few days away, two or three days, to pray together, think through, evaluate all the areas in the life of the church, seek the Lord about direction, and make some plans for the next year. So when we met together in May, there were several things that we came back with, but there was a, there was a theme that was on our heart that we believed the Lord was encouraging us to grow, and it was in the area of proclaiming Jesus to others. Evangelism, sharing our faith with others. We felt like this was an area that the Spirit of God was impressing upon us to encourage and strengthen the church in. Not because it's not happening, not because folks are not doing it, but it is happening, but we felt this would be a good area for us to grow in. We felt like the Lord was leading us. And so we came back with a series of plans in place to, in this desire to mature and grow in evangelism and reaching the lost. We said, let's study through the book of Acts together. Let's study this book, so I think this will really encourage our hearts, and we'll be able to see this narrative, this historical account of the early church and how the gospel spread in power throughout the known world during that time. We then invited Jim Donahue in from Philadelphia to do an evangelism seminar, and about 50 of you came out for this seminar, which we were extraordinarily encouraged about. 
And after that, a dozen of us went just walking the streets and talking to people about the Lord. And very enjoyable conversations. We really had a good time, and it was good, and the Lord met us. We plan to do what's called a bridge course coming in January. Now, the bridge course is a 10-week introduction to Christianity. It's like get together once a week, have a meal together, listen to a talk, have a discussion. This is one of those open-ended, what do you think, lots of Q&A, lots of dialogue, no bad question, very free, very open, and let's talk about some important things, questions that all people have in life, and let's introduce the gospel to these people. So we're looking forward to starting that. You'll be hearing more about that. And even this move to the school. One of the primary motives behind making this shift, first and foremost, we said we're looking for a Sunday morning uh, place, but this particular location seemed to have an outreach opportunity built into it. And we thought this fits so well into what God is saying to us and what we're doing. So there's several components coming together to encourage and strengthen us in this mission that we're called to, to tell others about the Lord and to share this good news, this gospel with others. Now in Acts chapter 4, this introduces to us a component of the church's mission that can make or break our effectiveness in this calling. It's often called persecution. It's not that persecution will make or break the church in her mission, but our response to persecution very much will. Persecution will happen. Persecution will come in various forms. How we view that and how we respond to that will, in fact, make or break us in our mission to share Christ with others. Acts 4 is going to help show us that obeying God, being truthful about who Jesus is, is better and worth more than trying to save ourselves some trouble. That's the lesson. That's what it's about. Be careful when you're trying to save your skin. Be careful when you're trying to avoid too much trouble. Always obey the Lord. Tell the truth about who Jesus is. I want to break the story down in four points. The unwanted response, the necessary answer, a great response, and the prayer that we pray, the prayer that we need. So the first point is an unwanted response. In the book of Acts so far, now we just read chapter 4, so we're early in, but already a pattern is beginning to unfold in the book of Acts. First, God's power is displayed. And that expression of God's power is followed up by a proclamation, a preaching. So in Acts chapter 2, we have the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It's marvelous. It's visible. Every, a crowd can see it happening. It's an outpouring of God's power followed by Peter stands up and preaches this sermon and gives some explanation to it and preaches a sermon that is all about Jesus. And in that sermon, he calls all the listeners, repent and believe. Then we get to Acts chapter 3, and we see the power of God on display by healing this man that has never walked a day in his life, now some 40 years old. And he is miraculously healed, and again, God's power is followed up by a proclamation. Peter stands up and preaches another sermon to all the crowd that can see what's going on here. And he preaches Christ. He proclaims Christ 
to all the onlookers and again calls them to repent. And each time, in the thousands, people respond. They hear what's preached. They see the power of God, and their soul is poised in seeing the power of God to hear, to receive, to listen, to give their attention to. And Peter, one of the apostles, stands up and proclaims Christ to them and calls them into repentance. And many respond. Thousands, 3,000. This time, maybe another 2,000 respond. But in these stories, not everyone responds in faith. In Acts chapter 2, some refused to believe that it was God's power, and they mocked those people that were there in the upper room speaking in other tongues, saying they must be drunk. And now we're in Acts chapter 4, and we get yet another kind of response. Some were greatly annoyed. They were greatly annoyed. This is the worst response, greatly annoyed. Okay, most of us in the room do not enjoy conflict, most of us. There might be a couple exceptions out there that you really get into that and you kind of like it, but for the most part, we don't like it. In fact, if we were to be honest with each other, we'd probably be a little bit embarrassed to actually say to what great lengths we actually go to to avoid conflict. If you really knew all the things I avoid saying, the situations I try to keep out of, all the things we kind of uh, manipulate our lives around, why? Because we don't like conflict. We'll put up with a lot. We won't say a lot. We do a lot of things because we really don't like conflict conflicts most of us can handle a little indifference most of us can handle some misunderstanding some of us can handle some disagreement but when somebody is greatly annoyed that's the worst I don't know what your personality is like I know mine and if I feel like I'm annoying somebody that is like big red flags retreat get out of there shut up don't do anything stop and remove yourself like that's the worst i don't like annoying people it's a wonder that god called me to be a preacher huh that doesn't make a lot of sense does it in our story the priest the captain of the temple the sadducees come upon peter and john greatly annoyed priest captain of the temple this is this is like the temple police and this is the police chief of the temple and the sadducees they were like the wealthy ruling class for the jews these are, these were the aristocrats that aligned themselves with the romans in order to maintain their social status and and they believed the messianic age had already started uh, some years earlier they did not believe in the resurrection and when the apostles were getting so much attention and seemingly having so much influence this got a rise out of them and annoyed them and so they called them in they came upon them but they were annoyed about what they said about Jesus. It was what they were preaching. It was in the details of what they were saying. It was in Peter's explanation of why this lame man was now healed and was now walking. 
You know, I know we, we're fairly convinced that we're living in a sort of a current phenomenon. We call it cancel culture. It feels like kind of a, a new thing. But here it is in Acts chapter 4. When somebody's really annoyed at your, your opinion and works strongly to say, stop saying that about Jesus. I don't value your opinion. You should not have the right to say that. And, of course, we face that today in, in a lot of different ways in this current cancel culture that we live in, especially now with the social media and the, and the technology of communication cancel culture has just shot into hyperdrive and it's easily done and it happens all the time people are losing their jobs people are being canceled regularly and this is what's going on in acts chapter four guy by the name of joe dallas wrote a book called christians in cancel culture and he refers to this as really one of the church's last major temptations the temptation to minimize the importance of doctrines that are critical to the faith, but offensive to the world. You see where this is going? It wasn't the good deed that bothered anybody. It wasn't that this man got healed. It was when Peter stood up and really began to define why this took place, how this took place, what was the purpose of what took place, and brought Christ into it, that the annoyance, the temperature started to go up. We can seek to avoid being canceled by just focusing on good works as a church. And we very much should focus on good works as a church. But we can cave and we can duck and we can hide by saying, we just do nice things for people. We just do good things for people. We feed the poor, we clothe the naked, we care for the widow and the orphan all things we should very much be giving ourselves to do. But do you see the pattern in the book of Acts? Good deeds done, power of God expressed, then explanation follows. And it's all about Jesus. No one was ever converted because they observed a good work being done. No souls have been rescued from God's wrath. No soul has been adopted into God's kingdom by observing a good work. But here we see the importance of God's power being expressed. It certainly positions a soul to pay attention, to listen, to observe, to be attentive, and to ask, why? What is this all about? Then the message becomes imperative at that point, which will be our second point. But before we move on, Luke wants to assure us of some good news. The first paragraph ends with verse 4 and says, But many of those who heard the word and believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. Okay, we don't know if it's 3 plus 2 equals 5, or it's 5 totally new, 5 just men, not including women and children. That detail is not really given to us, but that detail is less important. Here's what Luke wants to accomplish. What he's saying is that even in the midst of persecution, you need to understand that the gospel is still unstoppable. 
even though we've got a pattern going of God's power being displayed and proclamation being, being followed up with the power of God, and then many come to repentance and faith and come into the kingdom. Now we're getting another component being introduced. Power of God displayed, proclamation given, persecution being interjected, but still, but still, thousands coming in. Still the power of God, undaunted, unchanged, unaffected, still at work, still powerful. Friends, this has to be a foundational belief and a conviction for us if we're going to really have any hope of actually fulfilling the mission that we're called to and not to succumb to the temptations that come with our so-called cancel culture. You have to know and you have to believe that no matter how much or how strong or how big the bullies are that oppose the message, you need to understand the message still is the power of God to save and still does save people. If you don't believe that, if you don't realize that, if you don't believe Acts 4.4, we'll give up. We'll stop short, and we won't fulfill what God's called us to be and do. You need to be able to stand strong when the voices, even strong voices, say, stop saying that about Jesus. You and I have to have the backbone, the stamina, the fortitude, the conviction, the faith, that can look that statement in the eye and know beyond a shadow of a doubt the gospel is still the power of God to save. And I cannot, cannot help but say what we've seen and what we've heard. That was the unwanted response, greatly annoyed. Second point, the necessary answer, and I'm halfway into it already. The next day is the trial they arrest him late in the afternoon. They put him in prison for the night, and the next day is the trial. And this is the question that is posed to them. By what power or by what name did you do this? Notice again, the annoyance had nothing to do with the good work being done. It had everything to do with the message that they were preaching. They were concerned with where is the authority? Who's really in charge? Where's the power in this? Where's the influence in this? That's what the Sadducees were concerned about. Are we losing our influence here? Wait a minute. Who's in charge of this temple anyway? Who's calling the shots? These two upstarts step in and start preaching, and the crowd is going crazy, and people are coming in and flooding into this new thing called the church. What's going on here? Where's the authority? And friends, again, you and I can skirt this cancel culture just fine if we never say anything about the why and where the authority actually is. Peter, bold Peter, stands up, speaks again. Now, he had several options at this point. He's got to give an answer. Um, I don't know. We just prayed for this guy, and he started jumping up and dancing and running all over. I don't know what happened. All we did was pray, and he's healed. Sorry, I don't, I don't know any more than that. Just leave it with the evidence of the power of God. 
He could have said, well, what difference does it make by what authority happened? He's healed, right? We just want to help people's lives. The man is better. Isn't that enough? End of story. Why do we need to say anything more? Well, guys, we just wanted everyone to know how much God loves you and wants to make everything right in your life. Oh, that's close, isn't it? That's pretty close to the truth, right? We're almost there. That's a true statement. God loves you, does want to make everything right. He could have said that and no more. But again, no one has ever been converted by just the feeling of comfort that God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life, even though he does. Okay, that, that is not the gospel. That is not a message of salvation. That is a beautiful sentiment, sentiment, and it's wonderfully true in many ways, but it is not the message that saves. God loves you very much. He does have wonderful plans for your life. But that won't save you. You need to know much more than that. You could sit here and just affirm, you could smile and nod, yet I believe that God loves me. I believe God loves everyone. I think God means good for everyone. You will leave this room unchanged. If that's the extent of your understanding of who God is, and who Christ is, it's not enough. So Peter is filled with the Spirit and begins to speak. Now, this is a direct application of the promise that Jesus forewarned them about in Luke chapter 12. Okay, Luke, same writer, Acts, wrote, Luke wrote Acts as well. And Jesus told the apostles, and when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. The words of Jesus are being fulfilled in Acts chapter 4. And Peter goes into it under the influence and moving of the Holy Spirit. Let it be known. It was by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. Jesus did it. You had something to do with his death. Okay, are you feeling a little cancel culture coming out? Are you feeling a little, okay, you understand why they're agitated. Look, this only happened because of Jesus. Jesus died and you had a role to play. And you had a role to play in his death. You have some responsibility. You have some, some debt. You have some guilt that has to do with his crucifixion. But God raised him. This Jesus, he was, he was the stone that you rejected. You turned away from him. He came from God. You rejected him. But the stone that you rejected actually turns out to be the chief cornerstone. He becomes the stone that the whole church gets built upon. The kingdom of God lands on him, is built upon him. He's that cornerstone for what God is doing. And then he closes with that statement that is sure to get you canceled. Jesus is the only way to be saved. 
There's no other name. Look, stop saying that about Jesus. Stop saying Jesus is the only way. Nothing will get you canceled faster than to say Jesus is the only way that you can be saved. And yet, here comes Peter, bold as can be, filled with the Holy Spirit. Friends, let me tell you the truth about Jesus. There's no other name by which a person can be saved. He is it. Why would I tell you otherwise if this is, in fact, the truth about Jesus? I don't doubt Peter is having a little deja vu going on at this moment because it wasn't that long in the past that he was observing another trial. Could have been as early as two months prior to this. Do you remember Peter sitting around the fire pit? We talked about this when we went through the Gospel of Mark. And he is observing Jesus on trial. No doubt some of the same rulers that they are facing in this text, Jesus had faced two months plus prior to this. And Peter is observing. And do you remember? Peter's going through a little bit of a trial of his own. A little girl took him to task, and he failed that test. Oh, you know Jesus too, don't you? I don't know what you're talking about. Okay, you know, here's Peter. He has experience on how to play along in order to get along when he was by the fire. And the moment he did it, he locked eyes with Jesus and he experienced the most miserable moment in his life. He had a moment where he failed the test, and he did not tell the truth about Jesus. And when he did not tell the truth about Jesus, he wept bitterly. He was miserable inside. Worst day of his life, by far. Now, he's in a situation again. Same leaders. Now confronting him, another chance, another opportunity. He's learned from his experience. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. What is he going to do now? He's faced with two options. He can seek to save his own life, or he can be willing to lose it for the sake of Christ. Jesus said, if you seek to save your life, you will lose it. You stand before the tribunal and you save your skin. You'll lose your life. You're miserable. But if you lose your life for me, if you don't focus on defending yourself, if you're not overly concerned with your reputation or how this is going to play out for you, if you're okay with whatever happens, the first and foremost thing is I'm going to tell the truth about Jesus. If you lose your life for me, you will find it. I think this is going to be one of many of Peter's happiest moments in his life. He had an experience where he was miserable. Now he's not. Because he stood up to the bullies and told them the truth about who Jesus is. Third point, great result. In the context of persecution, several things became undeniable. 
These men were filled with boldness. And it showed up when they were being persecuted. Okay? The Bible describes Peter and John as unschooled and ordinary. Okay, now, I know there's some of you in the room that are very schooled and extraordinary. And I love you. And I'm happy for you. And I admire you that you're very schooled and you're extraordinary. For the rest of us in the room who are less than schooled and quite ordinary, this, we love this verse. We love this statement. This gives me hope. That somebody with maybe not so much schooling, maybe a little bit too ordinary still, it can be okay. God can still work. God can still, in fact, it was in the context of persecution that this phenomenon comes to light. These guys are nobody. I mean, all the stuff that would typically cause these two guys to be very influential, lots of education, extraordinarily gifted, extraordinarily eloquent, all kinds of wonderful gifts. They could step in, impress everybody, and be influential. And yet, they're none of that. They're none of that. And yet, they're as bold as can be. All the things you and I typically rely on that would cause us to be confident and bold about ourselves and with ourselves, all the ways we build ourselves up to be comfortable in our own skin, these guys had none of it. And yet their boldness, their courage was undeniable. And it took the persecution to draw that out, to smoke that out, to bring that to the surface, to cause that to be visible, not only visible, but undeniable. Note, it's the people that were greatly annoyed are the ones assessing this as being undeniable. I can't figure it out. Not sure why it is. These guys are nobodies, but they are filled with boldness and courage. Next, they say these, they could see that these men had been with Jesus. They were able to make the connections between these guys and Jesus. They were noticing these guys look, are starting to look and sound more and more like Jesus. They've become like their teacher. I have to believe this has got to be one of the best compliments a person could receive any time in this life. You remind me of Jesus. You kind of look like Jesus. You know, you sound like Jesus. You seem like you've been with Jesus. You look to me like you've spent about six or eight hours a day on social media. You sound to me like you've been listening to progressive blogs and listening to strange ideas about who Jesus is. You, you seem like you've been taking in a lot of that. That's what you kind of sound like to me. Friends, you realize the church is made and called to be the light of the world, not the other way around. And would it not be the highest compliment for you to be interacting with somebody 
whether they said it or not, they came to the realization, it seems like you have been with Jesus. What I'm picking up from you, what I'm hearing from you, what I'm seeing in your life, that could only, be, that could only mean one thing. You must be spending time with Jesus. You're starting to sound like him. You're starting to look and act and talk more. Like when you enter the scene, you make me think about who Jesus is. Could there be a higher compliment? They were filled with boldness. They'd been with Jesus. Another undeniable fact, the lame man was healed. The power of God was real. It wasn't staged Nothing phony, nothing fake. He was standing right there. There was no denying the miracle had taken place. The man's life was forever changed. And friends, our joy and our lives should be no less recognizable as being changed by God, changed by God's power, than this man going from never walking to leaping and running and praising God. You can tell when someone's been touched by God's spirit and has been made new. It's undeniable. The fourth thing that was undeniable was that their devotion to obey the Lord was proven. And it showed up when they were persecuted. They were told to stop preaching Christ. And no doubt this command had some teeth to it. Stop saying that about Jesus. I don't doubt that threat meant something and was intended to come with some real teeth, some real punishment, some real consequence when it was given to them. But their response was that they had to obey God rather than men. Now notice they didn't cave, nor did they rave. Look, guys, whether it's right or wrong to obey what you say, you have to decide. Okay, they're not, they're not raving here. They're not raging against the left. They're not raging against the media. They're not, you guys are so lost. You guys are, so, you know, they're not writing a blog. They're not on social media blasting against it. Look, guys, you need to do what you need to do. But let me make this clear. We have to do what do we have to do? You can decide for yourselves whether it's right in your eyes, whether we obey God or you, but we cannot but speak of what we've seen and what we've heard. Not an option for us. Their obedience was now undeniable, and it was the persecution that brought it to the surface. The devotion to obey God, honestly, friends, it is the real evidence of saving faith. This, this is where saving faith actually shows itself. And it, come, it develops within you an, an inward devotion, commitment, conviction to obey the Lord. You can say what you believe to be true, but 
if you're not compelled to obey what you believe, what, what sense does that make? James would call that an a, a insignificant faith, a, a false faith. In, in what other area of life would you say, I fully believe something, but it has no effect on how I live my life? I don't do anything because of it. I don't change anything because of it. I just say, I believe X. No. If you believe something, you believe it. Meaning you live out of that. It begins to control you. It's your motivation. It's your direction. It's your clarity. It's your strength. I believe it. And here their faith is being seen in their obedience. We cannot but speak. We've seen this. We've heard this. How could we not speak? Okay. Fourth point, last point, a needed prayer. They make their case, and they return to the congregation, and they give a report of all that had happened. And the people of God, the church, hear the report, and they call a prayer meeting. And they all bow, and they seek the Lord, and they address God in his authority. Oh, sovereign Sovereign Lord. It's over all things. Where all true ultimate authority lies, we pray to you. While they stood their ground in front of the religious authorities of their day, they knew and now expressed who their true authority is. The sovereign Lord of the universe. And they prayed and they prayed the scriptures. They had their Bibles at the prayer meeting. Different ones were opening up to the pages and they're at psalm 2 and they're at different places why do the gentiles rage just the gentiles the non-believers who are raging against the lord not the church who rages against the world we're not called to rage against the world but to bear witness of christ to the world and the essence of their prayer O lord we're putting all the pieces together now. We're seeing what's going on. We're seeing your power. We're seeing the proclamation. We're seeing the offense of the proclamation. And it's all beginning to come together and piece together. So now we know, Lord, grant us to speak your word with boldness. Because to not say what is true and what is right about who Jesus is We've seen that play out, and we'll be miserable. And we will fail as a people. We will fail as a church. We will fail as individual Christians. But, Lord, we pray that you would grant us with boldness because we know when the pressure's on, if we are willing to stand up and say what is true about Jesus, what is true about who he is and what he's done, and true about your need and my need for him, and true that he is the way, the only way, the only mediator between God and man that could make us right with God. If we're faithful to say, Lord, if you would grant us boldness, we will proclaim these things. Now they understood the thing that is so difficult for you and I to understand. 
the opposition, the persecution is not about you. But it certainly feels like it is about me. When I'm experiencing it, when I'm feeling it. But Jesus again prepared them. If the world hates you, know this. It has hated me before it hated you. Here's what's going on, Christian friend. If you were one with the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you're not of the world, because I've called you out of the world and chose you out of the world, therefore, this is why, because this is why they will hate you. This is coming. This is a reality. Here's the explanation. So know and understand. When you're in the midst of it, it's really not about you. If there's ever a moment in your life to be consumed with yourself and how you feel, wanting to run and protect yourself, wanting to cave, wanting to run scared, that's the moment. Know this. Hear the words of the Savior. It's not about you. It's about Jesus. And you will never regret saying out loud, even in the face of persecution, what is true, what is right about who Jesus is. Why? Worship team, you can come on up. Because God's kingdom is unstoppable. You and I, from one moment to the next, can be stopped. We can succumb. We can cave. But know this, God's kingdom is not. Let that encourage us to pray for boldness and to speak the truth with love. We will be at our best and our happiest when we give ourselves entirely to what God is already doing. Do you know that? Do you believe that? You will be at your best and your happiest when you give yourself entirely to what God is already doing. On the same token, we will be at our worst and our most miserable if we waste our lives trying to save our lives. Church, could we pray for boldness? Could we just follow the applications right there? It all happened, the whole story happened, they come back to the church and they prayed, oh Lord, would you grant us boldness and could we do that together? Would you stand with me? And could I just lead us in prayer? Could we ask for what the church asked for in Acts chapter 4? And ask for the Holy Spirit to fill us and lead us and guide us to be at times winsome, to be at times bold, to always be courageous, and no matter what, to always tell the truth about who Jesus is, what he's done, your need for him, glory he has for us. Father, we do pray like the church prayed in Acts chapter 4. I hope everyone's heart is united with me in this prayer. Lord, would you grant us boldness to speak your word? Would you empower us with the spirit that you've given to us, that you've poured out to us, that you've put inside us and caused the Spirit to rise up within us with a fresh sense of courage and boldness, also joy and faith and hope 
because your kingdom is unstoppable. And if and when we give ourselves to what you're doing, it's not everyone responds positively, but some do. Some do. Many do. Many will. You've called many to be a part of your household. And now you're entrusting to us your words. You've, you've made us witnesses. We've seen it. We've heard it. And now we want to tell it. And we pray for boldness to do it in Jesus' name. Amen.